Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm happy to report that the extended tax season that ended May 17th is now officially over. It's now extension time and extension season. Anybody that I haven't finished yet, I apologize, but I'm working on getting everyone done that brought me what they needed before the due date. I always have a lot of extension returns that are extensions every year because of various reasons I've mentioned before on Business Buzz. Sometimes it's very beneficial to be on extension, especially if you're funding your retirement plan and you're self-employed. If you're scrambling to get that tax paid, you're legally still filing on time when you're on extension and you file before October 15th, which is the extended due date. That is very handy for some people who are just not certain exactly how much tax they owe, but if they have a few more weeks, they can, number one, ascertain the correct amount of tax to pay, and number two, pay it with a small penalty and some interest. Uh, The penalties are one-tenth of the penalty if you aren't extended. In other words, if you're a late filer, and let's say you owe $100, well, be actually that low, um, you probably wouldn't have a penalty at all. But the general rule is the penalty for late filers who owe tax is 5% per month of the balance you owe. So if you owe $1,000, 5% of that's $50. If you file an extension so you're filing timely and you owe $1,000, the penalty is only 0.5%. In other words, one half of 1%. That would be five dollars on one thousand. So even if you owe two or three thousand dollars, you can basically extend the tax for a month. Only pay uh, if you owe three thousand, you'd only pay fifteen dollars of late payment penalty, and you would probably pay. I'm doing some math in my head real quick. Probably about seven or eight dollars a month for interest. So for twenty two dollars. You could postpone paying that three thousand bucks for a month. Uh, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Sometimes when the cash flow just isn't working out quite right, and you just need a little more time, that's what those extensions are for. A lot of people don't really do a lot of their work to get their tax numbers ready until the summer, so we automatically extend them. We always try to make sure if they do owe money that we can figure out what that would be, so that they can make a payment by extension date. But filing in the summer is perfectly fine. I'm. A lot of people have asked me over the years whether filing an extension adds to the audit probability. And to be honest, I don't know. There really are not that many audits these days. And the ones that we do get, it's almost like I kind of expect some of the ones that we get. But we get so few. I've actually only had... I've probably only been averaging maybe one audit every year, maybe one every two years, come to think of it, lately. And I do five to 600 tax returns a year. It's a very low percentage. And the main thing about that is that a place like my office or another professional tax preparer, uh, there's a lot of them here in Chico, we know how to file things and the chances of Number one, the chances of a big audit red flag 
it's pretty much I know in advance when someone is likely to be an audit red flag, and I tell them that before we decide how far to push the envelope as far as a business that loses money. We have to assess whether it's a business that's for profit. Uh, They will audit businesses that sound like fun, like dog breeding and travel photography. Those will get audited after a few years of losses. That's a pretty standard. That is, though, something that we can kind of figure in advance. So I always warn clients who say, hey, can I write this off? Can I write that off? We always discuss the fact, well, are you in this business for a profit? You don't have to make a profit right away, but you do have to be able to show that you are working toward a profit in a reasonable fashion. And there, there's a few rules about if you make a profit in three of five years, I think it is, that is then guaranteed to be a profit motive. But if you don't make a profit at all in five years, that doesn't mean you aren't a legitimate business. And you, that's not a hard and fast rule to exclude a business from taking losses. But it does make you much more of an audit risk. And if you do get audited, they they believe you spent the money. Uh, when you're a travel when you're a travel photographer or travel writer, and you just retired from being a professor for fifty years, and now you're traveling to Europe, losing twenty thousand dollars a year in your new business, the IRS, if they examine that return, they're not going to argue whether you spent the money or not. They know you spent the money. So having the receipts is just one step in the process. They know you spent it. Their argument is this is not a for-profit venture. Therefore, it's a hobby. Therefore, you can only deduct losses to the extent of your income, and you can't take that number below zero. That's sort of the hobby loss rule, and that's the biggest argument. I'd say 80% of the audits I've done in the last 20 years 80% of those have hinged on that exact argument, whether this business is for-profit or whether it's a hobby. I'm well aware with my 40 years of tax preparation experience, I'm well aware of which clients are likely to be audited down the road, and we work accordingly to make sure that they do have a real business plan with a real uh, reasonable profit motive and not just a a pie-in-the-sky way to deduct save taxes, which obviously would be a hobby if it wasn't a for-profit business. Well, that is also good news if you do have hobby income. If you're somebody who likes to maybe paint pictures or make photographic prints and you do occasionally sell those in a market or a fair or something, even though you're not in it for a profit, if you take, let's just say you have a year where you sell a thousand dollars worth of paintings. If you've spent a thousand dollars in traveling in fees to get into the fair in uh, canvases and uh, paint and expenses like that, then you can write that down to zero and that's a hobby and you won't pay tax on the thousand dollars obviously because you probably spent a thousand or more. And so that just makes it a hobby that goes to zero not a problem. It's only a problem when people want to take a hobby and 
somehow save taxes with it. That's when it doesn't really work and it doesn't make sense. Of course, I advise against it, but we do go over all the main the main rules and the main criteria so that everybody's aware of what their their rights are as far as a taxpayer being able to deduct losses and the rights of not being able to deduct losses in a true hobby. Back in the 1980s, they changed the law so much that rental income became a real limited amount too. And I won't get into any big spiel today about that. It's, 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 it's fairly complicated, not really, but the general idea is if you make a lot of money and their definition of that is 150000 per year, if you make 150000 per year, you will not be able to deduct rental losses currently. You'll have to store them up for later. So that's a little another bit of a trick that if people, a lot of people come to me and say, hey, I want to save tax. How about if I buy a rental? And I look at their tax return and I see they make $200,000. I have to tell them, well, you can buy a rental if you think it's going to go up in value or you know, if you think it's a good economic decision without thinking about the tax rules because tax-wise, it's going to take a long time for you to get the benefits of those rental losses on your taxes if your income is 150000 or more. That's just another trick of all these deductible loss ideas and what can and can't be done. Business news. Well, I'm just recovering from a lot of late nights, getting as many taxes done as I could before the deadline of the 17th. I did as many as I could. Now I have a bunch of extensions that I'm working on, but uh, business, I think business in Chico to me is just seems like it's kind of booming. I've got lots of new clients this year, lots of call. Every day I get a call for a new potential client that's got a business and some filing they need, some advice they need. I can't always help everybody. My office is a small office. I don't I purposely don't offer bookkeeping as a service in-house. I just don't have enough manpower, don't have enough employees to tie everybody up with that kind of work. But if you have your bookkeeping handled somehow else, or I can help you show you how to do it yourself in a very uh, cost-effective, easy manner, and I can probably help you with your taxes, and it just depends on what you have. But every day I'm getting a call from someone new, it seems, and a lot of those do turn into good clients. Some of them I just have to say, you know, that's not a good fit for me. Uh, I don't have enough manpower to really take on all the things you might need. I always enjoy talking to new people, though, because it's amazing how many times I'll talk to someone new and they think they have a very strange, horrible problem. But it's a problem that I've dealt with many times in the past with all the clients I've helped that I can kind of make them feel better and say, hey, here's what you need to do. This is the process to get it done, and it's not the end of the world. Uh, Like uh, one person I talked to today, they this person actually has, I think, 10 years of taxes to catch up the filing. My software goes back, I think I could probably fire up my software all the way back to the year 2000 or before, I've been using the same software since 1989, which dates me. Like I say, I've been doing taxes for 40 years, and I've been using the same program 
to do the taxes for 32 years. I've pretty much seen most of everything, but someone who has 10 years of taxes to do, they think it's the end of the world. It's not that big of a deal, especially if their tax returns are not that complicated in each year. In other words, if they just have some wages and maybe a little bit of investment income, uh, maybe a rental, but uh, it's not, it just isn't that, it's not the end of the world. So anyone out there with old years taxes to file and you're nervous about it, call me or someone like me, call a tax professional and talk to them and see, see what they say. It may not be as bad as you think. The local business scene is interesting. I did find a place last weekend that actually officially said that masks were optional based on whether you've been vaccinated or not, which tells me that if that characteristic picks up, I think we'll be seeing that a lot more. It happens to be that the place that I saw that at was in Tehama County. That sort of leads me to think that Butte County is different. I haven't seen that yet in Butte County. I actually went to Costco yesterday. I go to Costco maybe once a month just to kind of stock up on certain things. I was expecting that masks were not required, but lo and behold, they were. If you haven't guessed by now, by listening to Business Buzz, I've been an anti-vaxxer my whole life. My parents weren't, so I got the I got the required ones for kids who were born in the late 50s. I've had all of those. I have yet to see any I have yet to see any real honest, hard scientific facts that lead me to believe that vaccines are overall good for the general public. I'm not a doctor. Don't quote me. Don't follow my advice. Talk to your own doctor. Do your own due diligence, like they say in the investment world. Uh, I personally just don't think there's any uh, real overall advantage, and that's just my personal opinion, not being a doctor, like I say. My brother's a doctor. I don't talk to him that much. I don't even know whether he's gotten a vaccine or not. Don't know and honestly don't really care. It's a little weird to me that one county can have one set of rules and another county has another. We'll talk about some of those rules when I come back on Business Buzz. Stay tuned. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Joy is an attitude of faith in the Lord that celebrates His greatness and glory. Make today a joyful day by feeding your heart with God's Word. Take in solid Bible teaching and live it out by God's power. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, and I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week at 10 a.m. on Saturday or on Sunday at 10 a.m. Both messages are identical, so pick the day that fits your schedule best. 
If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word. What would it take to make Jesus angry? Tuesday on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll describes several moments that caused Jesus to turn up the heat on his disciples. The encounter will likely surprise you. Hear a cautionary message from Chuck Swindoll, Tuesday on Insight for Living. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, in a post-tax season world and a nice, warm, Chico afternoon. I'm glad you have a little time to spend with me. I hope I don't bore you. I hope I entertain you. I want to educate a little bit. I feel like I've got enough experience in a lot of these areas where I should be able to impart some, some knowledge that might be helpful. That's what I try to do. So in the world of crazy medicine. I have a, uh, hang on, I've got to find my, uh, got to find the, uh, the article I was just reading. Darn it. Hang on a sec. I made the mistake of opening, I made the mistake of opening two, two windows. Then I try to find the one I was on and I don't get back to it. Here it is. Okay, so here's here's the kind of thing that really bothers me about our 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 federal laws, our Budinsky of everybody butting into everybody's business, and I'll just uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna um, I'm gonna tell you about an article that was dated May 10th. And I thought this was very positive for people who are not certain whether they really like the idea of taking a experimental, uh, experimental injection that hasn't been approved by the FDA other than for emergency use. And this was from OSHA, which is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. And on May 10th, OSHA has put employers on notice that should they attempt to require employees to receive injections of experimental COVID-19 gene therapy vaccines, a resulting adverse reaction will be considered work-related for which the employer may be held liable. Now, to me, that totally made sense. I mean, obviously, if you're going to require an employee to take an experimental experimental, uh, needle that hasn't been fully tested by the FDA like any other vaccine in, in the past, obviously that would be a, uh, an employer would be liable for that. So the reason I brought this up is 
we have an update. An update dated May 24th. OSHA has changed its policy and now says that employers will not be held liable for workers' vaccine injuries. OSHA does not wish to have any appearance of discouraging workers from receiving COVID-19 vaccination and also does not wish to disincentivize employers' vaccinations efforts. And then uh, one guy said, it's hard to overstate how shocking this change is, tweeted former New York Times journalist Alec Berenson. If your boss tells you to take a vaccine or get fired and you wind up in the hospital afterwards, no one has to know. So my point on that is, uh, who told OSHA to change their mind within two weeks of their announcement? I mean, who is running what and who's doing what? You got to really wonder when you see things like that. And my big problem with vaccinations is this. I happen to know, I know a family who had a uh, child who immediately after a, I think it's the pertussis vaccine, the child became a basically, basically a hopeless, um, not hopeless, but I mean a paraplegic, non-functioning child, and it's um saddest thing I've ever heard of. And uh, the problem I found out by doing some research, which huh, I'll have to say most people never do any, uh, there is no legal recourse for vaccine injuries in the regular courts. You have to go to a special vaccine court, and it's all secret. Uh, you don't get a public trial like you would in a regular court. There's really hardly any real uh, remedy for the dangerous vaccines and their injuries that they cause. Now, I know a lot of people have a lot of arguments for vaccines, and that's fine. Spare me. I'm not, uh, I'm not getting into that debate. I've, I've gone through it many times over the past 30 years, and I don't need to debate it. It's an individual choice. It's not, if, if the way I look at it is, if your child's vaccinated, then what are you worried about? He's safe. And uh, I just think it's completely wrong to ever um, force anybody to do anything like that. So does the Nuremberg um, rules that they made in the 19, late 1940s uh, after the trial of the Nazi, experimental Nazi doctors. And uh, some of the rules that came out of that were basically, yes, you have to have consent before you give anybody a shot. So, related to business, since this is business buzz, I believe, I've looked up my favorite local paper, the Chico ER, and there's an article called Your Boss, Your Bartender, or Your Government. Who should know if you've gotten the COVID-19 vaccine? And uh, I'll just kind of flip through here. I haven't really read this whole thing. I can imagine what it's going to say. Santa Clara County officials forged ahead with a new requirement that employers find out which of their workers have gotten their shots. The South Bay County's rule, which appears to be the first of its kind in the Bay Area and possibly the Golden State, could free vaccinated employees from requirements to wear masks and socially distance. And it would require employers to treat workers who refuse to say whether they've had a shot as though they haven't. Oh, what happens next depends on California's division of OSHA. 
So we'll see how that goes. Well, I can imagine what Cal- if the federal OSHA did what I just said they did, which I just read they did on the 24th with a complete reversal, probably under pressure from some other, some other federal agency. If the federal OSHA said that, I'm sure the California OSHA is going to be following right behind in lockstep, I would imagine. So that is my little comment on that. You know, what's really amazing to me is the, and it doesn't really have to do with business, but I think it'll, I mean, it'll eventually it'll trickle down to business. It'll trickle down to everything. What's amazing to me is how little our kids are being taught things that I learned when I was in grammar school in the 1960s, especially about, uh, Bill of Rights and individual rights and things like that. Of course, uh, getting a law degree, I really got to learn a lot of the ins and outs of the of Bill of Rights because a lot of the constitutional law class deals directly with the for those first ten amendments, which is the Bill of Rights. Very interesting cases, interesting rulings. Uh, sometimes they totally made sense. Sometimes they sort of did, but that's what courts are for. But no court can no court can contradict the constitution that's the bottom line and if people don't understand what's in the constitution uh, how are they ever going to know whether they've been whether that's been violated in their respect i'm thinking of things like unreasonable searches which would probably that would probably that's the 4th amendment and that would probably have a lot to do with these covid rules uh, whether it's legal for someone to search you for a vaccine paper, uh, you know, is it legal or not? So I'm just shocked that we could have a whole generation of young people that have no clue what their individual rights are. And I'm guessing that in another 50 years, if people don't get educated, uh, my generation's going to be gone and uh, my son's generation will be the older generation. And he's, semi-educated on it, but he went to grammar school 20 years ago. I think by now they've probably eliminated that completely. I'm honestly not up on it because I don't have children or grandchildren in grammar school, so I'm really not aware lately. But based on what I remember my son going through in grammar school, I think the education has gotten uh, lower and lower quality from what I can see uh, since I was in school. So as far as the break goes, that's it's upon us. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back after the break. You can get all messed up thinking about what you know or you don't know. Why did this happen? Why it didn't happen? And the truth is, God's greater than anything you've ever felt or desired or know. And he knows all things. He knows why it happened, why it's there. David Hawking teaches us vital lessons about God's sovereignty. This week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today, weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. 
since the creation of the world. This is Ken Ham, CEO of the Global Apologetics Ministry of Answers in Genesis. Romans chapter 1 tells us that God is clearly seen in what he's made. Indeed, those who reject God are without excuse. It's so obvious from creation, there's a creator. Now, it's worth noting that the Apostle Paul says the witness of creation has been going on since the creation of the world. Many Christians say God created over millions of years, but that not only contradicts Genesis, it goes against passages like this one that say that people have been around since the beginning of creation. Those who add millions of years into the Bible, well, they're without excuse for their compromise, for God's Word has made the true history of the universe so clear. Discover answers to your questions and receive encouragement at AnswersRadio.com. And check out our streaming platform of Answers.tv when you visit AnswersRadio.com. I spend a lot of time in the garage. I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have a chance to spend part of your afternoon listening to me. I work hard. I learn a lot all the time. I've got a lot of things I'm still learning because they keep changing a lot of these rules. The rules changed even during tax season this year, so it was very, very weird. Some people had filed early and they had unemployment income. And then in March, I think it was, they came out, the IRS the government came out and said, oh, the first 10000 of that is not taxable. It's like, oh, hmm. So then the question was, do they want us to amend that tax return or are they going to fix it automatically? I believe the last I heard was they were supposed to fix it automatically, but you don't know how long it's going to take. I have some clients with a lot of amended returns from 2018 that were generated by the crazy COVID CARES Act laws that happened back in 19, I'm sorry, in 20, that affected a lot of things since 18, and we had to do a lot of amended returns last summer, and the problem is those amended returns for 2018 are not allowed to be e-filed. They have to be filed on paper, which means they have to go to someone's desk to be looked at. The problem there is, of course, uh, IRS, like everyone else last March, sent everyone home, then tried to have everybody work from home. So there weren't enough agents actually working with the files at their desk. To make a long story short, we're over a year since some of these filings, or about a year right now, and they still have not resolved these amendeds that we have to get done because the taxpayers who did the amendeds have a bunch of big refunds coming back and they kind of need the money to pay toward their taxes. And uh, it's, it's very, 
very, very difficult, very difficult. I have a couple of clients that I, every, about every eight weeks I have to call the IRS and tell them to please extend that hold for another eight weeks because that amended that generated a $200,000 refund that needs to be applied to 2019 is not, hasn't been applied yet because it hasn't been, you know, looked at by a desk. It's crazy. If you haven't guessed already, I'm not a big, not a big believer in COVID-19. Um, I have a few friends who say they've had it, but it doesn't sound like that bad of a disease to me. I do have a few people I know who have had some very, very major reactions after getting their quote vaccine. I hope, um, hope my other friends that have vaccines, I hope they don't get those kind of reactions because, um, one guy I know almost died. He's better now, but hmm. I'll just say thanks, but no thanks. Oh, it's free. Oh, you give me a free Uber ride. Thanks, but no thanks. I don't. Not this time. I'll wait till it. I'll wait till it gets FDA approval in about the normal time frames, five to ten years. I'll wait till then, at least. By then, I might not be around. I don't have to worry about it anymore. So I printed out one thing just because I knew I was going to talk about the business of vaccines, but I'm not even going to read it because it's basically just a puff piece written by FDA.gov. And uh, the title is Emergency Use Authorization for Vaccines Explained. I think that's the biggest thing people don't think about when they get these vaccines, these quote vaccines is, these are not vaccines that have been tested for years on animals. Uh, you know, lots of time passes where they're double-checked and see what the reactions are. These are experimental drugs that really have nothing to do with a COVID-19. And for people to just blindly take them when they're told, uh, I don't think that's smart. And I think it's especially bad for people to let their minor children have these when they aren't approved vaccines. They're experimental. And I read an article, I don't have it in front of me, that said that they did test this on animals and it killed so many animals they had to stop the testing. That was not a good, uh, that was not a good feature. So enough about the business of medical medicine and how much money the medical field steals, makes, steals, takes over. I don't even want to think about it. It's so ridiculous. I know that I pay almost 30000 a year for my health insurance for uh, me and two other people. And we, we really don't even use it. I avoid doctors like the plague, especially these days. I really won't go near anywhere. And I'm healthy as heck. Haven't been sick. I'm fine. Okay, so on to my next favorite topic. The U.S. national debt. We are all in for a major problem down the road. I don't know how long they can keep kicking the can, but there are major cracks in the system. The system is completely broken. They're probably spending billions of dollars every every night just buying up enough bonds to where the interest rates don't go through the roof. 
because if your national debt, which is now, I'm just going to call it 30 trillion, it's close to that. If your national debt's 30 trillion and interest rates went up to the historical norm of 5%, that means that we would have one and a half trillion per year just in debt service, just to pay the interest. Obviously, that doesn't make sense. There's no way, uh, I believe the entire revenue from individual income tax is around one and a half trillion, which means that all of that revenue that they gouge out of us and force us to file and force us to comply and force us to file on time and pay on time and get an extension on time. All of that just goes poof in, a, in an instant with interest. So uh, what's the point of even having an income tax when it doesn't even cover anything? So I'm just going to read a little bit of this article. It says, 18 facts on the U.S. national debt that are almost hard to believe. And this was from September of 2019, so it's about a year and a half old. It's from a place called uh, fee.org, F-E-E.org. I'm not sure what they stand for. So anyway, it was just a fun little article I thought I'd print, so I'll see what these facts are. Uh, at this point, it was $22.5 trillion. I know now I think it's 28 or 29 It says, below are some facts that help put in perspective just how large is the sum of $22.5 trillion. In order to pay down our national debt, you would have to combine the GDP, which is the gross domestic product of China, Japan, and India. The United States, and this is at the $22 trillion level, which is way under what we are right now. The United States owes $68,400 per citizen. The United States owes $183,000 per taxpayer. The United States currently has $125 trillion in unfunded liabilities. That means future Social Security, future Medicare, all the things that get spent, it's $125 trillion. According to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, the U.S. debt held by the public will reach 100% of GDP in 2028. In 2008, interest on the federal debt was $253 billion. Interest for fiscal year 2019 is roughly 89% higher. For fiscal year 2019, interest alone on the federal debt is $479 billion. In 1979, total federal government receipts were $463 billion. In the year 2000, the federal debt was $5.67 trillion. In 2019, federal debt is 300% higher. At Forbes, Jim Powell writes that the old New Deal cost about $50 billion from 1933 to 1940, whereas the future cost of old New Deal programs still in effect is reckoned at more than $50 trillion. A recent analysis, and this is in 19, a recent analysis by the Congressional Budget Office projected that the federal budget deficit, deficit is the difference between federal and outlays and federal revenues, will grow to $1 trillion alone in 2020. Well, 
One way to look at that is with the interest rates artificially kept low because the federal, the uh, Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve are printing billions of dollars every day just to buy down these bonds that nobody wants. That keeps the average interest. The ten-year bond is at about one point seven, I think, right now. So if if the debt is thirty trillion, even at one point seven percent interest, which is artificial and completely manufactured, that translates to five five hundred billion just at that one point seven percent level. So if you get Catch what I'm saying here. We are, we are dead. We're dead in the water. This debt is never going to be repaid, and we can barely repay the interest. And like I say, if interest were to be allowed to freely move to a true market, market interest rate of 5 or 6%, which is historically the norm, we'd be looking at uh, you know, almost $2 trillion just in interest alone. It's not going to, it'll never, it'll never be paid. As of, this is another factoid. As of December 2018, only 10 countries have worse debt to GDP ratios than the United States. Well, as if you haven't heard enough today, I will be back right after the break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. This is Samantha Landy, and I bring you Psalms of Hope, heard here on Life Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon. So do tune in and join me for beautiful music and an encouraging word from the Lord. Psalms of Hope with Samantha Landy, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon, here on KKXX. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. For an engine to start, quite a few things have to happen with split-second timing. Many things can happen perfectly, but if one small thing doesn't work, our radio station is much the same way. We can have all the right teaching and talk programs. We can be broadcasting to thousands. But if one crucial element is missing, it just doesn't work. That element is your financial support of our programs, regular financial support, and prayer support. We depend on it. With you standing behind us, everything will run just fine. You're listening to Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, taking a 
well-deserved, if I say so myself, break from the office with tons of taxes to finish, lots of work. Of course, I'm happy to be very busy. I don't complain when I'm busy. I would hate to have a business that was not doing well, like some of the restaurants and bars that have had to been made to suffer through what is, all I can say is it's a very suspicious problem we're in. And I don't believe a word that I read about it. But, so, the way I look at it, some of these things are just too big to, too big to handle all the time. So why not visit the other side for a few minutes a day? And that's what I like to do. And that's what we're going to do together. Because I've had enough of vaccines and masks and bailouts and PPPs and loan applications and banks and Federal Reserves and Treasury Departments and student loans. I've had enough, so I'm going to leave for a while. And I'll take you with me. Don't, just if you're driving, don't close your eyes. Keep driving. I'm going back to A Course in Miracles. I'm going to get myself a little salvation here. It's going to make me feel better, and I'm going to go back to work and attack a, I'm going to attack a stack of taxes like a, like a warrior, like David going after Goliath that's sitting on his desk. So I am in, I think it's chapter 28. Honestly, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm using my uh, online version, so it's on my tablet. And it's part two, and it's called Reversing Effect and Cause. Without a cause, there can be no effects, and yet without effects, there is no cause. The cause a cause is made by its effects. The father is a father by his son. Effects do not create their cause, but they establish its causation. Thus, the son gives fatherhood to his creator and receives the gift that he has given him. It is because he is God's son that he must also be a father who creates as God created him. The circle of creation has no end. Its starting and its ending are the same but in itself it holds the universe of all creation without beginning and without an end. Fatherhood is creation. Love must be extended. Purity is not confined. It is the nature of the innocent to be forever uncontained without a barrier or limitation. Thus is purity not of the body, nor can it be found where limitation is. The body can be healed by its effects, which are as limitless as is itself. Yet must all healing come about because the mind is recognized as not within the body and its innocence is quite apart from it and where all healing is. Where then is healing? Only where its cause is given its effects. For sickness is a meaningless attempt to give effects to causelessness and make it be a cause. Always in sickness does the Son of God attempt to make himself his cause, to make himself his cause, and not allow himself to be his father's son. For this impossible desire, he does not believe that he is love's effect, 
and must be caused because of what he is. The cause of healing is the only cause of everything. It has but one effect, and in that recognition, causelessness is given no effects and none is seen. A mind within a body and a world of other bodies, each with separate minds, are your creations, you the other mind, creating with effects unlike yourself. And as their father, you must be like them. Nothing at all has happened but that you have put yourself to sleep and dreamed a dream in which you were an alien to yourself and but a part of someone else's dream. The miracle does not awaken you, but merely shows you who the dreamer is. It teaches you there is a choice of dreams while you are still asleep, depending on the purpose of your dreaming. Do you wish for dreams of healing or for dreams of death? A dream is like a memory in that it pictures what you wanted shown to you. An empty storehouse with an open door holds all your shreds of memories and dreams. Yet if you are the dreamer, you perceive this much at least, that you have caused the dream and can accept another dream as well. But for this change in content of the dream, it must be realized that it is you who dreamed the dreaming that you do not like. It is but an effect that you have caused, and you would not be cause of this effect. In dreams of murder and attack, are you the victim in a dying body slain? But in forgiving dreams, is no one asked to be the victim and the sufferer? These are the happy dreams the miracle exchanges for your own. It does not ask you make another, only that you see you made the one you would exchange for this. This world is causeless, as is every dream that anyone has dreamed within the world. No plans are possible, and no design exists that could be found and understood. What else could be expected from a thing that has no cause? Yet if it has no cause, it has no purpose. You may cause a dream, but never will you give it real effects, for that would change its cause, and it is this you cannot do. The dreamer of a dream is not awake, but does not know he sleeps. He sees illusions of himself as sick or well, depressed or happy, but without a stable cause with guaranteed effects. The miracle establishes you dream a dream and that its content is not true. This is a crucial step in dealing with illusions. No one is afraid of them when he perceives he made them up. The fear was held in place because he did not see that he was author of the dream and not a figure in the dream. He gives himself the consequences that he dreams he gave his brother. And it is but this the dream has put together and has offered him to show him that his wishes have been done. Thus does he fear his own attack, but sees it at another's hands. As victim, he is suffering from its effects, but not their cause. He authored not his own attack, and he is innocent of what he caused. The miracle does nothing but to show him that he has done nothing. What he fears is caused without the consequences that would make it cause, and so it never was. The separation started with the dream the father was deprived of his effects and powerless to keep them since he was no longer their creator. In the dream, the dreamer made himself. But what he made is turned against him, taking on the role of its creator as the dreamer had. And as he hated his creator, so the figures in the dream have hated him. His body is their slave, which they abuse because the motives he has given it have they adopted as their own and hate it for the vengeance it would offer them. 
It is their vengeance on the body which appears to prove the dreamer could not be the maker of the dream. Effect and cause are first split off and then reversed, so that effect becomes a cause, the cause effect. This is the separation's final step with which salvation which proceeds to go the other way begins. This final step is an effect of what has gone before, appearing as a cause. The miracle is the first step in giving back to cause the function of causation, not effect. For this confusion has produced the dream, and while it lasts, will wakening be feared. Nor will the call to wakening be heard, because it seems to be the call to fear. Like every lesson that the Holy Spirit requests you learn, the miracle is clear. It demonstrates what he would have you learn and shows you its effects are what you want. In his forgiving dreams are the effects of yours undone and hated enemies perceived as friends with merciful intent. Their enmity is seen as causeless now because they did not make it. And you can accept the role of maker of their hate because you see that it has no effects. Now are you freed from this much of the dream. The world is neutral and the bodies that still seem to move about as separate things need not be feared, and so they are not sick. The miracle returns the cause of fear to you who made it. But it also shows that having no effects, it is not cause, because the function of causation is to have effects, and where effects are gone, there is no cause. Thus is the body healed by miracles because they show the mind made sickness and employed the body to be victim or effect of what it made. Yet half the lesson will not teach the whole. The miracle is useless if you learn but that the body can be healed, for this is not the lesson it was sent to teach. The lesson is the mind was sick that thought the body could be sick. Projecting out its guilt caused nothing and had no effects. So I'm going to just stop reading and I'm going to give you my interpretation of that last bit of that chapter because this is what I've been studying for going on about 13 years now. And it's very important to remember that there's two worlds, the world you see and the world of people that that's just the that's the that's what you're seeing on the screen in front of you the other world is where you step back and observe your own mind and realize that your physical persona is not real it's hard to handle when during the day you're bombarded with everything and you're obviously a body and you obviously have these problems and that problem and your your children your children are sick today you couldn't go to work you're not going to make the rent this month because you didn't work enough uh, you got laid off at work so you worked for a restaurant and the virus shut down the restaurant uh, now you don't have any money to pay the rent this is your that's that's your that's your small self. And that self is, seems very real. But if you step back and observe your thoughts, you realize that time sort of disappears, your problems sort of disappear, and that's where I go with this Course in Miracles. Now, I don't, I don't profess to be an expert at this. Uh, 
Uh, it's not something that you're supposed to uh, preach to groups of people. Uh, it's just something I like to share with people because I've had so many pleasant uh, experiences reading this and putting some of these things into practice. If you do get the book, part of the book is called the workbook, and you actually do exercises. I've read a few of those at Business Buzz here, and some of those can help you just by just by hearing how they work. Um, like exercise, um, well, let's let's go through exercise number one, and uh, you tell me you tell me if this doesn't uh, help you have a little bit of a better day. Let me find the. Uh, trying to find the uh, index to this book. It's been a while since I've used my used my Nook book here. Find the index. Okay, I'm clicking on the workbook. Okay, well, I don't have time to read the introduction to the workbook, but I'm going to read a little bit of lesson one. Nothing I see in this room, on this street, from this window, in this place, means anything. Now look slowly around you and practice applying this idea very specifically to whatever you see. This table does not mean anything. This chair does not mean anything. This hand does not mean anything. This foot does not mean anything. This pen does not mean anything. Then look farther away from your immediate area and apply the idea to a wider range. That door does not mean anything. That body does not mean anything. That lamp does not mean anything. That sign does not mean anything. That shadow does not mean anything. Notice that these statements are not arranged in any order and make no allowance for differences in the kinds of things to which they are applied. That is the purpose of the exercise. The statement should merely be applied to anything you see. As you practice the idea for the day, use it totally indiscriminately. So anyway... That's what I like about this book, and I'm not an expert, but I sure do enjoy it. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Thanks for listening to Business Buzz. I'll talk to you next time. KKXX Paradise, K280GL Chico, and K283AR Chico, Yuba City, Marysville. News this hour from townhall.com. I'm Jason Walker. All eyes on Geneva, Switzerland as President Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin about to hold some talks. This week's summit marks the third time that Geneva has hosted high-profile talks between American and Russian leaders. The first was a meeting involving President Dwight D. Eisenhower and Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev in 1955. The second came 30 years later when President Ronald Reagan met Mikhail Gorbachev. It turned out to be an important icebreaker that some say paved the way toward the end of the Soviet Union. White House correspondent Greg Clugston. Also at townhall.com, with COVID cases now on the decline, there is an increased push to get employees vaccinated. 
Correspondent Ken Lorman has more. As more companies are reopening each month, employers are stepping up pressure on workers to get vaccinated against the coronavirus. Some companies say they want to know that the majority of their workers are vaccinated, but that is raising privacy concerns. Some worry that employees who do not choose to be vaccinated may have their activities in the workplace restricted. Ken Lorman reporting. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy calling on Speaker Nancy Pelosi to remove Representative Ilan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee after a controversial tweet that critics say compared Hamas and the Taliban to the United States and Israel. Omar was condemned by Republicans and Democrats for her tweets regarding Hamas, the Taliban, and the U.S. and Israel last week. Pelosi said last Friday that no further action would be taken against Omar for her tweet since she issued a follow-up statement to clarify her position. Although Democrats seemed ready to move past Omar's words, McCarthy said he believes the Minnesota lawmaker should lose her seat on the committee. Bernie Bennett in Washington. And more on these stories at townhall.com. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. Order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only nineteen ninety-five to see if it will work for you too. Call 800-500-8384. ReliefFactor.com. With the Democratic sweep officially in place, we are now at the mercy of tax and spend economics. Get ready for runaway national debt pushing the further devaluation of the dollar. So if you haven't invested in gold, now is the time to protect your savings. Birch Gold Group is the premier precious metals IRA company in America. With an A-plus BBB rating and thousands of satisfied customers, Birch Gold can help you move an eligible IRA.